Well, the scripture reading this morning is from First Peter. We are starting a whole new series of sermons on the book of First Peter. Today we're looking at the very first section of First Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. We're starting a series of sermons called Exile, Finding Joy in Our Journey. And the reading this morning is from the beginning of First Peter. It's the reading of God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bith- Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit set from heaven things into which angels long to look. Amen. That's the reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks. This morning we give you thanks. We come to you and we come to you from various places, from various seasons of life, through hardship, through uncertainty. And we come here because we need you to speak. We need you to show up in our lives. And we know that you so faithfully most often show up while your word is being preached. So, Lord, we need you more than ever. Speak to us. Speak through me. Lead us to see you and your will for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, starting from today, we're starting a new series of sermons. We're looking at First Peter If you just joined us, we just finished a series of sermons on Daniel. And Daniel and 1 Peter, they're very much, uh, they're very similar books. Uh, Daniel was a Old Testament book about exile. Daniel was taken from a foreign land into Babylon. He lived as an exile. Well, 1 Peter is the New Testament equivalent. It's a New Testament book after Jesus and it is also a book about exile. It's about spiritual exiles. And so these books are very parallel. And so throughout this series, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the idea of exile from the New Testament perspective. 
and we're going to look at and examine the idea of what it means to be on a journey with Jesus and find joy in exile. There's a Netflix movie um, out called, with the title, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. And that movie, the title of that movie came actually from a spiritual. It's a spiritual, old American spiritual. I want to read for you the lines of that spiritual. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend but you. If heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what would I do? Angels have taken me to heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Over in glory land, there's no dying there. The saints are shouting victory. And singing everywhere, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. So many of us feel that, don't we? That we don't feel at home in this world. There's a feeling of isolation, a sense of desperation, a sense of not belonging. And that feeling is exasperated by this time now of COVID, where we feel alone, where we feel like we're not in the right place, we're not in the right season. And that's very much the idea of exile. We, we don't feel at home. Today, we're going to explore that idea of exile, why we feel that way. But more than that, we want to explore how we can rejoice in the midst of exile. In the midst of feeling that way, God gives us hope. He gives us blessings. So today, as we look at this whole big theme of exile, we want to just look at three things. The reality of exile, how we can find blessing in the midst of exile, and how we could ultimately be people of hope. In exile, those three things. And the first thing is this idea of the reality of it. Uh, we are starting to look at First Peter. First Peter is an epistle, which means it's a letter written by Peter. Peter was one of the twelve disciples that followed Jesus, walked with Jesus, saw Jesus in his ministry. Apostles were also uh, they were authorized to speak. The good news to people. So when Peter writes this letter, he writes it as an apostle, someone who's not just giving good advice, but he's giving an authoritative word from God. Peter writes this letter to churches in the Asia Minor region. That is all in modern day Turkey. That's the area that is now Turkey. And it was a circular letter, which meant one church got it and they passed it along to other churches. The theme of this letter is this idea of exile. And we see that right from the beginning, verse 1. Peter addresses this letter to elect exiles of the dispersion. And he starts right from the bat, giving us a theme. It's for exiles. What is an exile? Well, we just studied the book of Daniel. An exile was someone who was in their homeland, but they were deported for a while or for a long time, into another land. They were immigrants, foreigners. We're going to call them strangers. That's what an exile was. But what's interesting about First Peter was that First Peter was written for non-Jewish people. This was not for Jewish people living away from their homeland. This was for non-Jewish people who, after they became Christians, most likely stayed in the same place. They stayed in the same place, yet... Peter still calls them exiles. Why is that? Why are these Christians, though they are not literal physical exiles, why are they still called exiles? And the answer is, it's because they are elect exiles. 
Peter uses that phrase, uh, elect exiles. Election is a key idea in the Bible. It's articulated, I would say, even more clearly in the verse 20. Peter says that before the foundations of the earth, God selected his people, elected them to be his children. Verse 2 to 3, Peter says not only did he do that, he washed us by his spirit. He cleansed us. Uh, God made us his children. He gave us a living hope. He made us born again to a living hope. He's given us a new future, an inheritance, which we cannot lose. Therefore, we are new. We have a new citizenship, a new zip code, a new homeland. Heaven is now our home. God is now our father. So the reason that we're exiles is because we are elect. Because we are elect, God has now given us a new destination, a new family, a new homeland, a new destination, a new country. And what Peter is saying is that every single Christian is now in exile because now we're on a journey to a true home. We're going to a true place. It's not here. It's there. We're all exiles. And that explains a couple really important feelings and experiences in our life. And number one, it gives us an explanation for the longings that we have right now. The Japanese novelist, his name is Ryu Mirakami. Uh, he has, uh, he wrote this. This was in our meditation. All Americans have something lonely about them. I don't know what the reason might be, except maybe that they're all descended from immigrants. Ryu Mirakami, who's not American, looks at American people and he wonders and he says, you know, the thing I experience a lot with Americans is that there's a loneliness in all of them. And his theory is that the vast majority of Americans are not from here. They're immigrants. They don't live in the place of their origin. And he says that might be an explanation for that loneliness, that longing that they have. But, you know, all of us, in some sense, we have this loneliness, this longing, don't we? We all have this loneliness. There's a sense of longing, a sense of dislocation that, man, this doesn't feel like I belong here. Uh, this doesn't feel right. I don't feel like I'm in the right place. And all of us have that sense of longing. You know, and an understanding then the exile helps us make, make sense of how we feel. That actually we don't belong here. Actually, this is not actually our homeland. This is not actually the place or destination. And God gives us to that. He gives us a homesickness. There's a homesickness in all of us, that, all of us, and that's to get us to realize God is telling us to keep moving. This is not it. We're not there yet. This isn't home. Keep moving. Keep looking ahead of you. Keep setting your eyes forward. Move. Walk with me. That's what God is telling us. The idea of exiles helps us make sense of how we feel, but also makes sense of how other people feel about us. It helps make us understand the opposition we face as believers. You know, another translation for exile is stranger or immigrant. Uh, some translations are sojourner, someone who is on the move. 
And when you think about the experience of an immigrant, uh, you know, an immigrant has a difficult uh, life because you're acclimating to a new language, new customs, and immigrants face a lot of pushback. Uh, when I was growing up, my uncle immigrated to America with his family, and I met my two cousins for the first time. They lived in Korea, and my uh, cousin, the closest to my age, he was 10 when he came to America, and they, their family lived with us for about a year. And he had a really difficult time moving from Korea to America at 10 years old, entering into the school system because he spoke English but with an accent. He had that classic bowl cut that a lot of Asian people had. He didn't know how to dress, how his peers dressed. He was made fun of a lot. Uh, people at his school called him Bruce Lee which was interesting because he didn't know Bruce, who Bruce Lee was. He never saw any of his movies. And he got bullied. It was a difficult transition for him. You know, we're living in a time now where a lot of immigrants face pressure. Some people, there are all these incidents of, of people saying to immigrants, go back home, go back to your own country, don't come here. Immigrants face pushback. They face persecution. That also explains the hostility that a lot of people have toward Christians. They're different. They're not from here. Their values are different. They're not like us. Peter wrote this letter in a time where Christians face intense persecution. Nero, the Roman emperor at the time, ordered mass hostility toward Christians. Many of them were killed, slaughtered, set on fire thrown to lions, and he writes to these Christians facing the experience of being an exile under pressure. That's why in verse 6 he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter, understand that we're exiles makes, makes sense of the pressure that we feel, that people oppose us. Because we're different, because we march to a different drum, our values are countercultural. Uh, one of the NGOs, Open Door, estimated that in this year, 2020, 260 million Christians around the world live in some sort of high risk or extreme level of persecution. In countries like Libya, China, Pakistan, last year, 1,200. Nigerian Christians were killed for their faith all over the world. That NGO says we're living now in a more intense time of persecution for Christians than any other time in human history. There's intense persecution. Christians have a different way of life that rub people the wrong way. Understanding that the fact that we are immigrants or exiles makes sense of how we feel like we don't belong. We feel like we're out of step with society, with how other people feel. We feel dislocation. You feel that way. It makes sense. It helps us make sense of that. But here's the second thing. 
what Peter wants to do is he not only wants help to help explain our situation as exiles, but he wants to show us some good news. Well, the second point is there is so much blessing about being an exile, which far outweighs any of those things I just talked about, any of the pressure, any of the sense of longing. There are blessings. This is the second point for the exile. Peter writes this letter to Christians who might feel down and out, who are discouraged. They feel the pressure all around them. So Peter blesses them. He encourages them. And starting with verse 3, this is what he says. First Peter 3 and 4, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter begins by blessing God. He is ecstatic. And he blesses God for all of his blessings upon us. And he says the blessing that God has given to us in verse 3 is according to his great mercy. Everything that God gives us is all according to his mercy. You know, we live in a culture that is all about rewarding hard work. It's about hustle. It's about grit. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell says that you don't become proficient or expert in anything unless you put 10,000 hours into it. So a lot of people are trying to get their 10,000 hours. We're trying to hustle. We're trying to practice. We're trying to work hard. We're trying to have grit, hustle. That's the name of the game. And so we're always feeling like we're not keeping up with everyone else. We're behind. We need to hustle. And it's exhausting. But here's the good news. Good news of God is that everything that God gives to us is according to his great mercy. It's not according to what we've done. It's not for good people because none of us are good. It's for the broken. It's for hungry. It's for the lost. It's people who have made tremendous mistakes in their life. God gives us his grace. It's not the gospel is not achieved. It's received. It's not about your grit. It's about God's grace. That's the good news. And these blessings come to undeserved people. What are the blessings? One verse three, he says he's caused us to be born again. That means our entire past, once we believe in Jesus, is forgiven. All of our sins, our failures, Jesus paid that penalty on that cross. He forgives us. He releases us. And we're born again. We're born into a new family. God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. The spirit is our guide. And we have a new destination. It says this in verse four. We've been given an inheritance that is imperishable. In ancient times, your inheritance was the basis of your wealth, your social status, and your security. Those three things. Your wealth your social status, and your security. It was all about your inheritance. It was such a pivotal part of anybody's life and their status in that society. Well, here's the thing. What what, uh, Jesus has done for us, what we've been given in the gospel is we've been given this eternal inheritance. 
You know, if you're a child of Bill Gates or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, one of the richest people in the world, if you're one of their children, your life would be set. You know, you'd have billions and billions of dollars. You wouldn't have to work a day in your life. Your life would be seemingly set. But what God says to us, Peter says to us, is even better. He says that your inheritance is the inheritance of God. What is God? What is the net worth of God? What does God own? And it's every, it's all things. We have the inheritance of a God who who created the universe, who loves us with an everlasting love. And that is our destiny. That is our future. And that destiny in verse 4 is imperishable, unfailing, and unfolding. You know, every asset in this world is vulnerable or it's depreciating. You know, the moment you buy a new car and you drive it off the lot, it loses a lot of its value. The longer you drive your car, the more your car depreciates in value. It's a depreciating asset. The more you own it, the less it's worth. Every asset in this world is either depreciating or even if it's valuable like gold or stock, it could lose its value. But the, the inheritance of God that God has given to you, he says it is imperishable. You cannot lose it. It will not lose in value. It is unfailing and unfolding. It will only appreciate. And best of all, it's guarded by God's power. He's not going to let it go. He's keeping it in heaven reserved for you. This glorious, eternal inheritance, secure by God's infinite power. We can rejoice in exiles because we have, we have this grand, glorious hope in front of us. But you might say, well, what, what about now, though? Man, times are hard now. I understand my future is golden. But what about the difficult things I am experiencing now? You know, Peter anticipates that question. He anticipates you will ask that. That's why in verse 6 and 7, he brings it back to the present. He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter anticipates your question, which is, well, what about now? Why is it so hard now? If that's my future, why is my my present so difficult? And Peter anticipates that. And he says a couple of things. He says, well, number one, it's for a little while. He says that you, you, you are suffering. It's for a moment. And it's only a moment in, in light of eternity and the glory that awaits you. Your trials are for a minute, a moment. But secondly, he says, you have to endure that because he says, it, well, it is purifying. It is purifying. The metaphor that Peter uses is of gold. A miner goes into a mine and finds a piece of gold, but it has all kinds of sediments and dirt, all kinds of things around it. So what does the miner do? He, he takes it and he puts it through the fire and all the dirt, all the sediment wipes out. Is dissolved and only the gold is left, the precious gold. 
Only that can be sustained through the fire. What Peter is saying is that right now we go through momentary afflictions and trials and struggles, but that purifies us. It helps us to know our faith is real. You know, I I talked to a lot of Christians who grew up in a very religious household, in a very Christian household. And starting from when they ever was born, they were going to church. They had a youth pastor. They were taught the Bible. And a lot of them wonder, is my faith real or did I just inherit? Did I just grow up with it? Do I have a real faith or do I have a faith that I just believe this because I've been told it? But I don't have a real faith. It's something that I've been just told to believe. Do you have a real faith? How do you know the answer to that question? And the only answer is you got to go through the fire. That's the only way to know if you have real faith. You know, that was the whole point of the book of Job. Job lived uh, a good life. He lived a baller life in some ways. He had a beautiful family. He had a thriving business. He was wealthy. He had it all. And Satan comes to God and says, God, Job's only down with you because he's living his best life. But you take all that away and Job will curse you to your face. That's what Satan says to the God. God says, okay, I'm going to test Job. I'm going to put him through the fire. Job loses everything he loves. His business burns to the ground. He loses his family. He loses the things that are precious to him. He gets a disease. He's covered with sores. And what does Job say? Job says to God, I came to this earth naked, and I'm going to leave naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job goes to the fire, loses it all, and he still praises God. It's through the fire that he testifies to the world and himself that my faith is real. I can lose it all, and I know I still have the Lord. Only through the fire do we know that our faith is real. In times of stress and trial, we can grow closer to God. God becomes more real in our life. It's not just a theory, but it's the real presence of God we can engage with. Faith becomes active. It becomes something so powerful in our life. That's what the fire does to you. What Peter is saying, you are going to go through trials, but that trial is going to refine your faith. It's going to purify you. It's going to drive you closer, and it's going to set your eyes on your true home. You know, at the end of all of this, this end, end of this lesson, Peter is saying, don't you realize, church, you're so blessed, even though you go through the fire. And he talks about how even the prophets of the Old Testament They long to see the salvation that we've been given. Think about Daniel. He was a prophet. He prophesied. He was given all of these visions from angels. Don't you think Daniel would have longed to see Jesus and hear exactly who he was and what he did? All those angels and Daniel prophesied, gave him visions. But but Peter says, even the angels long to see what we know, believers today know. That we have this certain hope, that we have the reality of Jesus. You know, any one of us, we could have been born 500 years before Jesus existed on the side of the Himalayan mountains. 
We cannot, any one of us could have been born like that, never hearing the gospel, the good news, never hearing the reality of Jesus. And Peter says, don't you know, church, you're so blessed to know all of these truths. Don't you know that you're so blessed, even in the midst of the current trials, they are purifying you. Don't you know that you're blessed that you have this glorious hope in front of you? So now here's the final thing. Well, how can we then live under that hope? How can we have, as Peter says, a living hope? You know, that's that's the last point. You know, Peter says that we need to have a living hope. Some of us have hope, but it's not a living hope. I have an um, eight-year-old daughter, and she is uh, she loves – ever since she was little, and my wife and I can't figure it out, ever since she was little, she loved everything France. You know, So she has uh, France and Paris bed covers with the Eiffel Tower on it. She has a little Eiffel Tower in her room. She has pictures of Paris and France. She has an artistic soul. And so we told her, you know, Candace, you know, when you get to high school, we'll take you to Paris. And she's so excited about that, that she has planned an itinerary. She's eight. She's planned an itinerary. It's years away. She got an itinerary. She knows where she wants to go, the places that she wants to visit, the museums. She got pictures up on her wall. For Cadence, Paris is not a hope. It's a living hope. She visualizes it. She sees it. She's planning for it. Now, if we have this certainty of heaven, is it a living hope for you? Is it something that you visualize, you think about, you're planning for? How can we make that more living and active in our life? Well, you know what Peter does is that he's, he roots this hope he has in reality. That's why in verse 3, this is how Peter puts it. He says the living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's the key. It's rooted in history. It's rooted in a person. It's rooted in his resurrection from the dead. You know, right before Jesus went to the cross, Peter, the apostle, was ashamed of Jesus. He was arrested. It seemed like all the plans had not come through. So Peter three times denies knowing anything about Jesus. He's questioned three separate occasions. Do you know Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? He curses. He swears an oath. I have no idea who Jesus is. Just one week later, Peter is so sure of Jesus and the fact that he is alive, that he's willing to risk his life. In fact, Peter would die a martyr. Firmly believing with his life the power of God. What happened in that one week? And the thing that happened in the one week is he saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus dead, then he saw him alive, and Peter knew he was energized. He was confident, and it changed his life because the resurrection of Jesus from the grave means that anything is possible, and after suffering, there is glory, that heaven has come down to earth, and God is powerful, active, and alive. Peter experienced that, and you might say, and Peter anticipates this, well, I haven't literally seen that myself. I mean, Peter saw the resurrected Jesus, but I have not. 
That's why this is what Peter says to you. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter says, you don't have to see Jesus to experience Jesus. You don't have to have seen the resurrected Jesus to have the joy of Jesus. That we could still have confidence in the resurrected Jesus because through his spirit, he assures us. You know, you can't see the wind, but you can experience the wind. You don't have to visibly see something to experience its power. And even though I have never with my own eyes seen the resurrected Jesus, I have experienced him through his spirit. Even though I have not seen the resurrected Jesus, I know the joy of Jesus. I've experienced that inexpressible joy of being in fellowship with him through faith. We can experience that. We don't see him, but we can know him through his spirit. We can have the same confidence and joy that comes from his spirit. And we experience that through Jesus. He's the key. His person, his resurrection, and being with Jesus transforms how we see everything. We talked about the idea of suffering, and being with Jesus transforms how we experience suffering. We're at the end of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. This is what Peter says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says that when we suffer, it's just not us suffering. We share in Christ's sufferings, that Christ's suffering becomes ours, that our suffering, it draws us into the life of Jesus. And that we see in our suffering Jesus' sufferings. And we see our suffering and our hardship as a badge of honor. Because that's the same suffering of Jesus. And just as Jesus' suffering gave way to glory, my suffering will one day give way to glory. And that is the hope that we have. Do you feel dislocated? Do you feel the pressure? Would you, would you let that draw you into the person of Christ? Would it draw you into to looking forward and ahead of the hope? And one final application is this, and we're going to touch on this throughout the series. You know, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 10, chapter 10, verse 19, this is God's word to exiles and sojourners, pilgrims. He says, and yet you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself was a foreigner in Egypt. God said, you better love the immigrant because you were an immigrant. And this is what God says to his New Testament church. You better love the immigrant because you are an immigrant. You're a spiritual immigrant. You better be not, not be someone who says, get out of my country. But would you be a person who welcomes people as a fellow immigrant? Would you welcome them to take a journey with you to a true destination, to a true country, to a true destination Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend but you. If heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what would I do? Angels have taken me to heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Over in glory land, there's no dying there. The saints are shouting victory and singing everywhere 
and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks. And Lord, if we're honest, all of us feel this sense of longing and loneliness. Especially now, Lord, we feel like we don't belong. We feel like the journey's long. We feel out of place. And we give you thanks that you give us assurance that nothing's wrong with us. In fact, that's the right thing. You give us assurance that, that, that we are on this journey to a true home. We give you thanks that in midst of our suffering, that we can share in that suffering of Jesus. That he suffered too. We suffer with him. And give us assurance, God, in midst of this journey and break joy into our lives. Help us to sing and shout in midst of hard things. For we know our journey is not over. We know that we'll reach that promised land. We know that you are with us and assure us. And help us to be a testimony to everyone else who feel dislocated. Help us to be a witness to have them join us along this journey as we journey to a true homeland. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.